Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you and thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing a series that we're looking at together as a church through the uh, Book of Acts called Church Alive. And uh, particularly this morning, our theme is the danger of deception. And that's based around our reading this morning, which is from Acts chapter 5. And I'm going to start at verse 1. And I'm reading from the NIV and it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And it reads like this. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back some for yourself? The money that you received for this land, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you outside also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Luke is really honest in his account, in his eyewitness account of this story and this occurrence of what happened in the early church. Um, this is a shocking story in many ways because two Christians within the life of a church um, seem to do something that, that causes them to lose their lives. And to our hearts and minds today, this, this comes as a great shock. In fact, it's a really disturbing story. And yet the Bible is so honest in the fact that it shows everything warts and all. It shows the whole picture, the whole story. And even in the early church, with the, such an amazing, great initial revival, knowing the hand and power of the Holy Spirit, things were going wrong at the, at the time. And Luke wants to show uh, some of this. And so the very heart of this account, I, I would suggest to you this morning, isn't just that it's about greed, uh, a love of money, things, and a sense of greed, but more to the point, it's about deception and dishonesty. And it's that that really carries uh, this story and the damage that it can cause. You see, you see deception and dishonesty can cause a tremendous sense of damage in relationships with our relationship with God, relationships with one another, and the church's ultimate relationship in the world around. And this was at a very early strategic point in the heart and life of the early church. If we think of deception, to deceive literally means to deliberately cause someone to believe something that is not true. So to deliberately, intentionally cause someone to believe something that is not true, particularly not true about you or not true about me or not true about that circumstance. 
In other words, it's to make others think that you are what you're not. Inside you're something and yet you're showing something on the outside. Uh, and, and there's a deliberate intention to show that. Um, in, in other words, it's to, to give a false impression. You could put it that way. It, it, it puts you in a good light. And in this account, um, it's on the back of um, a man called Barnabas giving his possessions and giving all. And then it says that Ananias and Sapphira come and bring before. And yet they keep something back making it look as if they're giving everything. And it's that deception, not so much that although the greed is there, but it's that sense of deception that is so grating in this story and breaks the heart of God. You've heard perhaps the phrase, um, appearances can be deceptive. And uh, deception is so dangerous because um, it's, it, it, when it's linked with disobedience, it's corrosive. And it's this that undermines uh, credibility. You know, di disobedience deception is corrosive because it can undermine credibility and confidence. That's what makes this such a corrosive thing in your heart, my heart, the heart of a church, the heart of a family, the heart at work, management, whatever it might be. It, it disables, uh, this sense of deception disables us and it, it becomes, uh, it breaks credibility and it destroys confidence. You know, credibility, they're just not true. They're just not being true. What they're showing isn't real. Or uh, confidence, can they be trusted? Or can I be trusted? Or can you be trusted? And so this idea of truth and trust is broken. And it's that that is incredibly corrosive in life, heart, family, home, society. And particularly in this story, we're thinking about the church. So the three things that I want to just look at just briefly this morning to unpack this story, the three things that we can maybe learn from this account and this story. And the first thing is this. Number one, God sees the heart. God sees everything. And so we see in verse three there, Peter um, says there to, to Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have lied to God. Verse three and verse four. God sees everything. Nothing can be hidden. It's interesting because in 1 Samuel, in the Old Testament, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, when Samuel was looking to choose a king, the Lord whispered into his ear, people look on the outside, but God sees and looks at the heart. It's in the Old Testament. Well, if you want to come into the New Testament, it still applies. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, we read this. The writer in Hebrews says this in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 13, nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must all give an account. So nothing in creation is hidden from the sight of God. Everything is seen. God sees the heart. So important for us to understand. It's not just an earthly group of friends all getting together, the church. It's a heavenly family and God sees the heart and cherishes the heart, loves our hearts, but also sees the heart. A man called George Herbert made a very interesting statement when he said this, uh, thinking about this very theme this morning, God sees hearts as we see faces. It's, it's a really interesting point to think on. God sees your heart and my heart just as I see someone's face. God sees our hearts. And so it's to be aware of that, that, you know, if we're something on the inside, but we're showing something different on the outside, God sees into that. The second uh, thing, the, the uh, point that we can understand and learn from this story and carry into our lives to help us grow and follow him and be the people that, the person that God wants us to be is this. Second thing is this, God hates sin. 
God hates sin. And the, the, theologically, sin separates. Most Bible commentators, theologians would say this. It, it's, the, it's the sin that separates our hearts from God. Falsehood ruins fellowship, in other words. He says, you have lied to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit. The church is an earthly community with a heavenly heart. We're of divine design. It's not just an earthly community, a bunch of friends. Otherwise, it's just like any other club, but it's part of the family of God and therefore comes under the design of God and the plan of God. And it's this that we must really take into account. To sin literally means this. In a biblical understanding of the word sin, it, it maybe is forgotten. It's a forgotten word. It's a distasteful word in the modern age in which we live, but it, but it literally means this. It means to miss the mark. It was used of the idea in the, the, the Olympics of shooting an arrow uh, that hits the centre, the bullseye, and that's the mark, bullseye as it were. And so when the arrow missed, it went off that, that mark or, or missed that, it, it, there's, this, there's the Greek word means to sin, it means to miss, miss the mark. And, and God's mark, mark has, God has a design and plan for you and for me. And he wants us to live according to that design and plan. And if we live anything outside that design and plan and living for him, the great designer, mighty God himself, then we fall into sin. We can fall into sin. You don't have to just be a murderer to fall into sin. You know, people say, I'm living in sin or they're living in sin. They don't even say that these days. But, but it, to live outside the design and plan of God and to not live for the designer and a relationship with the great creator, the designer himself, then we can fall into sin. And so sin means to deviate from the path, the plan, the purpose, the path that God has for you and me. He has a great plan for you and a great plan for me. And it's when we fall out of that that we can fall into sin. And if we don't live for him, we can live without God. We then we live in sin. So it says, it's really interestingly, in Psalm 24 verse 3, it says, the psalmist writes, who may stand in the holy place? Who may stand in God's presence, in other words? And then he says this, he answers this, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. Then very interesting, in this, during this pandemic, we've been so used to sanitizing our hands, washing your hands for 20 seconds or whatever it is. And the idea of sanitizing, keeping your hands clean, was this idea of protecting yourself from a virus, keeping you safe. And holiness, God's, God is holy and he wants us to be like him, to, to be apart from those things that cause us to fall outside his plan. God's holiness keeps us safe. It's not that he wants to beat us with a stick and say, eat your peas and carrots, does you good. Holiness does you good. It's not like that at all. It's a case of as we are holy, as we follow God, live for God and live according to his plan, then that we will be safe from the death and hell and the virus, as it were, of sin and death. And um, so there's a, a sense for a desire for the designer. That's what God wants us to, to continually give our hearts to him. The desire for the designer to give our hearts to God. And so um, it's interesting, if we come into the New Testament, in Hebrews 12, verse, to, um, uh, verse um, 28 to 29, rather, sorry, it says, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29. Really interesting. God is a heavenly father full of love and mercy and grace. And God is a consuming fire. God is a father on fire. He has both grace 
and truth. It's incredible and he wants us to live accordingly and he gives us the power to do so. But if we fall outside of that, falsehood ruins fellowship. And so we can learn from this story exactly that within the heart and life of the early church. A man called William Gurnall, a great Puritan writer, pastor and teacher with great insight said this, God's wounds cure, sins kisses kill. He was basically saying the cross, the, the wounds of Jesus on the cross, they bring healing to our lives. And sometimes when God comes to discipline your life and my life in the power of the cross, it's only so that we might be healed, not hurt. But if we allow this age, the caress of this age, we kiss with this age that leads to destruction. And this is what Gurnall understood. And this is what we see in this story, uh, portrayed in this very story. And it's the same for you and I today in the power of the Holy Spirit. God calls us to clean hands and a pure heart. Third and final point that leads me to my final point, which is this. God is concerned uh, God not only hates sin, but he's concerned about the purity of the church and the purity of your heart and my heart and my life. Um, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, as he spoke to a group of people in Matthew 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. For if we're pure in heart, we'll be able to see God. Uh, I'm not saying perfection. Oh, are you saying to me, Adrian, that I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to be perfect? It's not perfection, it's about relation. Um, it's as we relate, as we come to faith in God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, as we give our hearts, as we come to faith in and we then continue in relation, that we are changed by, into perfection. We're changed from glory to glory. God sees us as, although our sins are like scarlet, we're as white as snow. And yet there is, this is the way of the Lord, walk in it. There's a day-by-day -day walk as well. And so this is the understanding here. God desires, and it's those that, that are being changed from day to day from by the power and grace of love of the Holy Spirit, is that we continue to be see God in our hearts and lives. It's when we deviate and walk off the path that we can fall into separation uh, from the heart of God. You know, uh, the illustration is a bit like this uh, about purity, and it's this, that, you know, water... When a stream is connected to the source at the top of a mountain, you know, a mountainside stream is usually very pure. The water could be very sweet, it's very good. Why? Because it's connected to the source, it's very close to the source, the top of the mountain, and the water is free flowing, it's continually flowing. And the so, so you too with you and me, is as we are connected to our source, Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, abiding in him through the power of the Holy Spirit and continually, continually coming again and again and giving our hearts and lives and calling upon God and calling upon his forgiveness and giving ourselves to him is that we will feel the continual flow of the Holy Spirit and there will be this sense that we'll be able to see and know God in our hearts and lives. And that's what he calls for. You know, I had this dream of fire and the fire falls and little did I realise at the time, I thought, oh, it's all about the, it is about the spirit and it is about revival and it is about the gifts and it is about stirring and it is about the church coming alive. But it's also about a sense that God, as we come out of a, um, the pan, this pandemic and we embrace life after the pandemic, I believe that God is calling us, he wants to create a credible, confident, Christ-like church. And that's what the fire of God will do as he comes upon our hearts and comes upon our lives as we give ourselves to him. 
Let's do that this day, today, every day. Give your heart, give your life as we just give ourselves to him and we'll know the sense of his presence. We'll see him and we'll come alive in his hands. God bless you and thank you so much. Amen. It's been uh, another great message in this series, the Acts of the Church Alive. And maybe you've missed out on some of the weeks that we've um, shared this series. You can hop onto our YouTube channel or Facebook page and uh, watch those on there. But I love something that Adrian said uh, this morning. He said that God wants to create a credible, confident, Christ-like church. And that is me and you as God's family today. Let's just pray into that for our lives and for this coming week and days ahead. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had uh, together online across our homes today. And Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move uh, through our lives, that we would be a confident Christ-like church. In the days ahead, Lord God, that we take courageous steps in following you, in being led by your Holy Spirit, living for you and sharing the love that you've shown us to others around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.